This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. President Barack Obama is not on our side in the war against terror. He has established a pattern. Time after time, he's in denial about the dangers that we face, not only across the world, but right here on the homeland. Welcome to the program. Once again, the United States was attacked by a foreign enemy, ISIS, Islamic terror, that the president won't admit, while Americans now here at home are being attacked and killed. This is becoming part of the landscape. President Obama is, in a way, making this part of our landscape where these things happen. And he comes out and he gives the obligatory message of condolences and will bring these people to justice. And nothing happens. First of all, I salute those four Marines and that Navy Petty Officer and that law enforcement officer, four servicemen from the Marines, one Navy officer, killed in a terrorist attack in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I have two takeaways. First is that President Barack Obama has failed at his most solemn duty, and that is to protect the homeland against foreign threats and to protect Americans, not only abroad, but at home. And when I say his most solemn duty, if you look at the oath that the president takes when he assumes office, he takes an oath that says in part, I do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of the President of the United States and will do to the best of my ability preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. Those are the words. Now let's go back to the preamble because this is what he is supposed to preserve and protect. And the preamble says, We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, Provide for the common defense. On and on and on. Provide for the common defense. President Barack Obama has not done that. The second takeaway I have from the terrorist attack that the president will not at this point call a terrorist attack because he's still trying to figure it out almost a week later. But the second takeaway is that our national security and intelligence agencies are not very good at what they do. That's right. I said they're not very good at what they do. I didn't say they weren't any good. They're not very good. And I'll walk you through that as well. 
what really bothers me is that President Obama has no sense of urgency about this threat. What is it going to take to get President Obama to recognize and admit that ISIS has declared war on our homeland and they are using people right here in the United States that they have radicalized and turned on us, but they're using homegrown terrorists to kill U.S. citizens, military personnel, and law enforcement officers. You know, there was a time in this country where there used to be hell to pay when U.S. citizens were threatened by foreign sources. But that is not the case under Barack Obama. We sat up here and watched James Foley beheaded, the missionary over in the Middle East. We watched Daniel Pearl suffer the same fate and other U.S. citizens abroad. But now, look what's happening right here on the homeland. This is not the first attack. You have Fort Hood. The last report I, I, I heard, there were 20 such attacks, successful attacks on the homeland. Fort Hood, Garland, Texas, New York City several times, and I'm not talking about 9-11. Boston Marathon. And I could go on and name other ones, but I think you get the point. You see the pattern. There used to be hell to pay when that happened. Remember when Pearl Harbor was attacked? An attack on the homeland and we were appalled? What was the result? The first use in the history of the world of an atomic weapon. That was the response. You screw with the bull, you're going to get the horn, was the response. And I just, I find it inconceivable that this president thinks that ISIS is the JV of terror networks, and he simply shrugs his shoulders after these incidents. Like I said, he comes out with the obligatory hearts and prayers and thoughts are with the families. Then he goes about his golf game. This man was visiting a federal prison. A federal prison in Oklahoma when the nation was under attack. He was comforting comforting federal criminals as our soldiers were being slaughtered on the homeland. And in his response, he said, we're still investigating, we're still trying to piece it together to find the motive. What? Find the motive? The motive is to destroy the United States of America or life as we know it anyway. What is he talking about? Is this the best that his intelligence sources can do? Nearly a week later, over a week later, now, and they're still trying to figure out the motive? Let me give you a hint, Mr. President. ISIS is trying to 
destroy us. I don't know how much more evidence you need. I wish you had that sort of discipline. When it came to you declaring war on the American police officer, because in the early days after Ferguson, and after Baltimore, and after New York, you were quick to the trigger then. You wasted no time accusing our community's finest of being bloodthirsty racists with no evidence. You didn't say these things are still under investigation and I want to withdraw or hold back, I should say, uh, uh, comments on it until the investigations are complete, until I have more evidence. No. Right away he slammed your community's finest. But now with American servicemen and law enforcement officers and citizens being killed, he wants to exercise discipline and be reserved. I find this unbelievable. We're going to continue with why I believe the FBI is the wrong agency to be the domestic intelligence source on the homeland. This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Jay Severin. Are there circumstances, can I conceive of circumstances, under which internment camps for any number of groups or peoples? Can I conjure, can I imagine, can I conceive of circumstances in which I would support such a thing? The answer is absolutely there are. The question now is what circumstances? Jay Severin. Weekdays, 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern. On the Blaze Radio Network. Blaze Radio Network On Demand. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. We ended the last segment talking about how the President has failed in his most solemn duty to protect the homeland and to protect Americans' lives. I mean, this is the same guy who, when Mike Brown, Eric Garner, Freddie Gray, Trayvon Martin were engaged in criminal behavior, he dispatched White House personnel, had them make phone calls to the family. These guys were engaged in criminal behavior. And yet when it comes to our servicemen and women protecting our homeland, he can't find it in himself to reach out to the families and give a heartfelt, not the obligatory, a heartfelt message of condolence and appreciation for their bravery, their courage, their service to their country. That's how warped this is. I want to get into how I believe that the FBI is the wrong agency to have been designated, and this came after the uh, the 9-11 attacks, came out of the 9-11 Commission. The FBI was designated as the domestic intelligence source or agency. And I say it's the wrong agency because they aren't built 
to be an intelligence agency. Now, many of you may know my graduate degree from the United States Naval Academy Postgraduate School, Center for Homeland Defense and Security. I studied this stuff. Doesn't make me an expert. I don't need to be an expert, but I have a little knowledge. And I read what a lot of other experts were saying about our approach to domestic intelligence. And they point out as well why the FBI is the wrong agency. The FBI, it's called the Federal Bureau of Investigation. They're a downstream organization. What that means is they spring into action after something occurs. If you recall Fort Hood, they knew that Nadal Hassan was communicating with Al-Awlaki, a known bomb maker in Yemen. He was exchanging emails. They were aware of that. They did nothing out of political correctness. The military played a role in that. They were aware of it too. They were afraid of offending the religious sensibilities of the Muslim religion and the Muslim community. Their main concern is not to worry about offending people. Their main concern needs to be to protect America, to protect American lives here on the homeland. Nothing else is more important. People have to get over their sensitivity. They have to get over their being offended. Because I'm not worried about that. But anyway, getting back to the FBI, and this was talked about in the 9-11 Commission report about whether or not the United States should develop a domestic intelligence agency. And there have been th- several models that were proposed. I wrote about this in my thesis, by the way. One of the models is the uh, MI5 in the UK, a true domestic intelligence agency. They do not have arrest powers. See, the FBI, what they do as they go into a case looking for evidence of a crime so that they can make an arrest, that's not intelligence work. That's investigative work. Intelligence work is the collection of, the processing of, the analysis of information to develop intelligence. What is intelligence? Information that can lead a policymaker to act. And that's what it is meant when it says that intelligence has to be actionable. If it doesn't cause or lead the, 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 the policymaker to act, it's not intelligence. It's just information. Here's what a true intelligence analyst tries to help a policymaker with. Identify who the enemies are, What are their capabilities, and are they planning an attack before boom, before the event happens, not after? And from the FBI, we always get this information, yeah, he was on our radar screen, but we didn't have enough to open a case. We heard that uh, pre-9-11. We're still in that mindset with the FBI. They're trying to develop cases to make an arrest. Intelligence is information to help a policymaker make a decision as to whether we should act, preempt, preempt an event, preempt a strike, 
not to make an arrest. And if you look at the MI5 model, that's all their MI5 officers. They don't have arrest powers. The reason why they don't have arrest powers and guns, they don't want them making arrests. They want them developing intelligence. When it gets to a point under the MI5 model where an arrest needs to be made, they notify special branches of their police forces and say, go make the arrest. And they keep working on the intelligence. So the FBI comes up. They set all these clowns up, these, these, these homegrown terrorists in their basement. Yeah, these are kooks. And they're dangerous. But they set them up to meet them somewhere and, you know, to carry out an attack or to, uh, you know, make a cash exchange for some, you know, explosives or, or whatever. And then they jump out and they arrest the guy, you know, case closed. No, it's not. You can do that forever. You're not going to get anywhere. That's not an effective strategy. There are too many homegrown terrorists or potentials that ISIS is recruiting. We need intelligence. We don't need a case to make an arrest that we can have a news conference and say we stopped this terrorist attack and it really wasn't anywhere near that aspect of what are their capabilities. Because remember, it's those three things. This is important. Identify the, the threats, the enemies. What are their capabilities? In other words, can they carry out an attack? Can they actually do it? Not are they talk. Can they actually do they have the means with which to pull off a 9-11? And then that third thing is, are they planning? And what stage of the planning are they in? That's intelligence work. The FBI is not designed to do that. They are an investigative agency. So what you would need is a complete culture change within the FBI in order to be good at this. It's not likely to happen for a very long time. And ladies and gentlemen, we don't have time to allow the FBI to undergo a culture change, to turn from an investigative agency into an intelligence agency. We need an MI5 here in the United States. And we don't have one. So what did we get out of Chattanooga from the FBI? He wasn't on our radar screen. What they mean is we didn't know about him and, and we didn't, you know, we didn't have enough to, to put a case together to arrest him. Remember what the FBI did on July 4th? They put this country in a state of hypervigilance. An attack is imminent. We've never seen chatter like this we were hearing from them. Threat level high. And what happened? Nothing. You know why nothing happened? Terrorists love the element of surprise. We're going to talk some more about that when we come back. This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss Pat and Stu. Are we ever going to talk about the fact that you got your family into this, not me? I'm not the one breaking up your family. You're breaking up your family because of your choices. And look, if you want to keep your family together and you get deported, take them with you. Yeah, they have to stay here. No one said they must stay while you have to go. That's a great point. 
Pat and Stu. Weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. I was talking about what the FBI did to us on July 4th, a couple weeks ago. They put the United States in this state of hypervigilance. I think there was nothing more than CYA. The, the, the FBI is trying to outthink themselves, outthink their common sense. They take these uh, holiday events, and yeah, they're, they're enticing. There's no doubt about that. But no longer does that present the terrorists with the element of surprise. So they move on. In a future segment, we're going to get into this TSA approach to combating terror and how ineffective that is. But getting back to July 4th, when I was reading this and I'm watching this, I said, don't you guys get it? Look, it is very difficult to predict when and where a terrorist attack might occur. I understand that. It's like trying to find a needle in a haystack. But one of the things you do if you're looking for a needle in a haystack is start removing some of the hay. You try to narrow it down. That's what good intelligence will do. Actionable intelligence, effective intelligence, not just information. When a collector uh, goes out, that could be from any source. There's a lot of different sources, okay? Open sources, law enforcement, these agencies themselves, they have collectors. That's and this is taking in information. Then you put it through the intelligence process to figure out, is it pattern developing? Is there a picture that's coming into play here? It's a very difficult thing to do. I understand that. But there are some people who've been doing this for a lot longer than we have. One of them is the UK. You remember their history with the Irish Republican Army and the terrorist attacks? How about Israel? They do intelligence completely different. They're better at it because they've been doing it a longer time. That's not to suggest that a terrorist attack doesn't and could never happen in in, in Israel. Of course they do. But I'll tell you what, they do a lot more preemptive strikes than we do. They get to a point where that intelligence lets the powers that be, Benjamin Netanyahu know, they're planning and they're getting real close, and they don't wait till boom. They preempt. We're afraid to do that. At least this commander-in-chief is. So there was no element of surprise for a terrorist attack. And I think the FBI did that in case there was one. They could say, see, we knew it. We predicted it. But here's the danger in that. When you keep people in a state of hypervigilance, after a while it fatigues them. And then after a while, they just disregard it. Oh, here's the government again. They said that last time. They said that on July 4th and nothing happened. And then people start to ignore it. So you got to be real careful in putting people in a state of hypervigilance. And then you have to be real careful as to how long you're going to do it. I'd rather hear about a preemptive strike. Read about that in the newspaper. Instead of this, oh, it's going to happen. It's going to happen today. We weren't able to pick, uh, uh, predict 9-11. What was 9-11 before 2001? 
It was the day after September 10th and the day before September 12th. And there was nothing else significant about it. Well, there is now. And everybody's looking for something to happen in New York City and Washington, D.C. Who would have predicted Chattanooga, Tennessee? Who would have predicted Garland, Texas? We were kind of surprised. Oh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. There are military recruiting centers, installations, military personnel all throughout the United States. We are a target-rich environment. What we need, though, from our commander-in-chief is to start sending a message to these state sponsors of terrorism, these known ISIS strongholds, with our military superiority. Because they understand that. They get that. But they know that this commander-in-chief does not have the will nor the desire to hold them accountable, to punish them. Yes, punish them for threatening the United States of America. Benjamin Netanyahu does it differently. He makes people pay. Had Chattanooga, Tennessee happened in, let's say, Jerusalem or Tel Aviv, You know what we'd be looking at 10 days later? Bomb damage assessments. We'd be looking at photos of the rubble that the Israeli military would have turned those Hamas communities into. And yes, in the process, you may kill some innocents. You may take out women and children. You don't want to do that. But I'll tell you what I don't want. I don't want our servicemen and women being slaughtered on the homeland. I don't want ISIS operating in our backyard using our people, homegrown terrorists, to kill us. That's what I don't want. So Israel tries not to kill innocent people, but you know what? It's part of war. Innocent people are going to die. You don't kill them unmercifully. But if these people are going to hide in and among the civilian population... What you want to do is send a message to the civilian population. You better get away from these folks. You better shun them. You better point them out because then we'll go after them and we'll spare you. But if you're going to sit there on your hands, and I realize some of this is out of fear, well, then you're going to be taken out with them. It's called collateral damage. It happens in war. It's not a pretty thing. Well, look at the collateral damage of Chattanooga, Tennessee. A law enforcement officer is injured. Four Marines are slaughtered along with a Navy petty officer. And then look at the psyche of the, you know, look at the American psyche following something. What about that collateral damage? Doesn't that mean anything to you, Mr. President? And your duty to protect the homeland? I mean, here's what I would have done in the hours after that attack. I would have used counter-terror propaganda. If I was the president, I would have said, This is inspired by ISIS. They have been making these threats for a long time, and they struck again. I'd make them own this. I don't need to wait around for an intelligence process that isn't working very well here to tell me what happened. I would make them own it, and I would do the George W. Bush moment where he stood on the rubble at Ground Zero, where the World Trade Center towers once stood, and got on the megaphone. And said, we hear you, to the first responders who were looking for their colleagues. 
buried under concrete, rebar, and rubble. And he said, we hear you. And the people who brought these towers down will hear from all of us soon. That's what he said. That was encouraging. That lifted my spirits. That our commander-in-chief was going to do something about this. What do we get from Obama? Well, uh, Islam's a religion of peace and we can't blame... I don't want to hear that crap. I don't want to hear it. Maybe down the road we can talk about that. But somebody's got to pay for the lives of these servicemen. And it's going to be ISIS. Whether we can make the direct connection or not, they've made threats to the homeland. We'll continue to make threats. And they're going to, they are going to suffer the consequences. They'll get the message then. You know, we'll hear from ISIS after the next attack. Oh, it wasn't us. No, no, don't, don't. It wasn't us. Please don't. That's what we'll hear instead of this bravado that we hear out of them. I mean, I, I realize this is difficult to fight. We don't have a strategy. And until we come up with a strategy, comprehensive strategy from the White House because he's the commander-in-chief. I'm not going to sit on my hands because I have an obligation and a duty to protect the people of my county. And I'm not going to sit on my hands because we have an ineffective intelligence intelligence, uh, uh, process here in the United States and watch my community suffer this kind of slaughter at the hands of ISIS. The next segment, we'll finish up on this, and then uh, I'm going to talk about this this whole Bruce Jenner thing. You're listening to David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the Morning Blaze with Doc and Skip. A pissed-off papa from New Mexico is arrested after shooting his son over who could speak Spanish and English better. 51-year-old Robert Chavez is in mucho trouble after an alcohol-fueled fight with his 23-year-old son turned muy dangerous. Chavez argued with his son over who was the better bilinguist, and after failing to come to a conclusion, the locoed lad left the room and looked for his gun. The Morning Blaze with Doc and Skip. Weekday mornings, 6 to 9 Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. Radio Network On Demand. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. In the final segment here, I want to end with uh, this whole uh, terrorism thing. And I'm questioning the strategy that the FBI is using, going out and making cases and making arrests. Why do we want to fill our prisons up with homegrown terrorists, radicalized Americans? All we're going to do is set up a terror network in prison. Because ISIS still is going to have access to them. They have the internet in prisons. These prison inmates have privileges. And then in a couple of years, we'll have the left saying, well, you know, they didn't really mean it. And they're in need of our sympathy and a second chance. And we need to wipe the slate clean, wipe this from their record and return them to society. Here's my suggestion. What they're doing is treasonous. And what they ought to do is charge them with treason. Move them to Gitmo, get them out of the U.S. criminal justice system and into the military justice system. Give them their due out of that 
And then when they're convicted, death. That would send a message, a counter message to the homegrown terrorists. Here's what your fate is going to be. Not five years in a federal prison. You've turned against your country. That's treason. Here's how we treat treat treason. All right, I want to end with uh, this whole Bruce Jenner flap. And yes, I said Bruce Jenner. That's who he is, Bruce Jenner. And I said he. Just because I put on a cape with a big S on the my, uh, on the back of it, does that make me Superman? And just because I attach wings to my arms and start flapping them because I think I'm a bird and I jump off of a building because I think I can fly, does that make me a bird? No. I'm a human being, a male, and that's the way that God created me. This article comes from National Review, David French. Very well put. He, he articulates it better than I can, this whole issue, this whole uh, situation. So I'll just read it. A surgically damaged man appeared on the cover of Vanity Fair, and the applause is mandatory. There are some who call this latest turn in the sexual revolution radical or transformative. Yet in reality, the only thing radical about Bruce Jenner's transformation into Caitlyn is the harm to his body inflicted in a desperate quest to be something that he is most assuredly not, a woman. The transgender movement is but one small branch of the immense self-regarding tree of the sexual revolution, and since it shares the same logic as such cultural catastrophes as no-fault divorce and abortion on demand, its acceptance by elite culture was not is a foregone conclusion. After all, if the sexual revolutionaries believe with religious fervor that personal fulfillment and self-actualization are so important that it is worth inflicting a grisly death on a wholly innocent baby to preserve, and a little gender reassignment surgery is just one small step for person kind. All of this self-regard comes at a high cost. To those who say that Bruce Jenner's body is his own, that he can do what he wants with it, realize that during this process his many children lost a father and his wife lost a husband. These losses occur during every transition in the sexual demands, sexual revolution demands, upon pain of shame and banishment, that family members treat fathers as mothers, sons as daughters, and husbands as wives. The Jenner-Kardashian clan has expressed support, though Chris and Kylie Jenner are still obviously struggling. But really, what other option did they have? For people who inhabit the pop culture tribe, you disapprove of sexual radicalism at your own very high professional risk. The only thing radical about Bruce Jenner's transformation into Caitlyn is the harm to his body, inflicted in a desperate quest to be something that he is most assuredly not, a woman. We're growing increasingly accustomed to bearing the cost of sexual selfishness and radical personal autonomy. Robert Putnam's new book, Our Kids, reads like one long treatise on what happens when families fall apart. The battle over same-sex marriage treats adult sexual fulfillment as the highest social good, one worth trampling core civil liberties to enact and preserve. In spite of this obvious cost, liberals recently exulted over Gallup poll results showing that Americans had shifted left on virtually every significant social issue with increasing support for divorce 
extramarital sex, gay sex, polygamy, and adultery. The formula for cultural decay is by now quite clear. Short-term gratification leads to long-term misery. Yet the sexual revolutionaries maintain their cultural grip by owing the pleasure and blaming others for the pain. Liberals trumpet the flexible family relationships that allow people to escape dysfunctional unions. As for the poverty, depression, and increasing inequality between two-parent families and the transient remainder? Well, that's the fault of globalization, insufficient funding for public schools, and the war on unions. Leftists applaud a sexual libertinism that allows a person to enjoy a life of play and maximize their pleasure. As for the feeling of guilt, shame, and confusion that accompany a life of casual sexual intimacy, well, that's the fault of religious schools or insensitive and predatory men. The one-sentence philosophical summary of the sexual revolution is, my body is my business. Yet, that comes with unspoken corollary. Consequences be damned. While there are necessary legal and political responses to sexual radicalism, preserving religious liberty and working to ban abortion is a good start. The true response to these trends isn't encapsulated by the phrase, there ought to be a law, but there ought to be a culture. There is no single person who can shift an entire culture, much less, much less materially restrain cultural drift, but we can each do something. Increasingly, that something means resisting the temptation to stay silent, to acquiesce in absurdities for the sake of temporary social or social media peace. Intimidated silence advances the cause of sexual radicalism every bit as much as enthusiastic acceptance. By refusing to speak, we contribute to the notion that even conservatives understand that something is wrong, something is shameful about our own deepest beliefs. Why does the intolerant left so vigilantly police speech, introducing even a Twitter bot, to automate the scolding about the correct gender pronoun to use in reference to gender? Because they know speech, including simple pronouns, matter. Don't consent. Laverne Cox is not a woman and neither is Caitlyn Jenner. He is a man with breast implants. He's always been a man and he will always be a man. Yes, he is deeply troubled. Our, our hearts go out to him in his pain, but the answer is not found in radical self-regard, and it's certainly not found in surgical mutilation. He is a man created in God's image, yet a man experiencing deep anguish about his very creation. He needs our prayers, not our applause. Wow. My sentiments Exactly. And I'm tired of the left telling me what I have to accept. That every fringe and freak behavior has now become part of the cultural norm. And I mention this because the ESPYs uh, held their award. That's the ESPN uh, awards they get out, give out every year. And this year, the Courage Award, the Arthur Ashe Courage Award went to Bruce Jenner. That's not courageous what he did. And in the, uh, the audience was Brett Favre, and a, a story came out the day after how Brett Favre only gave, gave tepid applause when Bruce Jenner was introduced. They said he clapped mildly a few times and then just rubbed his hands together. I know exactly what he was thinking. So do you. We're out of time for today.
Come back next week. This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network.